You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, this morning we are continuing in our series in the book of Colossians, and we've come to a passage that is a little difficult, a passage that many people might prefer would just remain untouched. Um, To many people, it is an offensive passage of Scripture. They consider it out of date, out of touch with the reality of the 21st century. But actually, we believe that every word of the Bible has something to say to us. If we would just get over our objection for a moment and let the Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. And so that's what we're going to try to do this morning. But to be fair, this passage has been offending people since um, the day that it was written. It was just as out of touch in the first century as it is in our own. And the Lord used it then, and we believe that the Lord can use it now as well. Now, there are a lot of reasons why a person might not like this passage. But I think one of them certainly is that we don't like it when the Bible or, or anyone really tells us specifically what it means for us to be obedient. Right? We're much more comfortable with, with sort of generalities around obedience. We can kind of wiggle our way um, into accord, into agreement. But you get too specific, and instead of wiggling, we start squirming. Right? We don't like the idea um, that Jesus would have something to say specifically to me. We're all good with like this series we're doing, right? Jesus above all. We're all good with Jesus being above all, but I don't really like it. I kind of bristle at the idea that Jesus is above me. Or maybe you're the same way when I say that Jesus is above you. But if he's above all, then he's certainly above me. If he's Lord of all, then he's certainly the Lord of you. So you may remember we're in the middle of this series in the book of Colossians. We're calling this series Jesus Above All. It's about this letter that Paul wrote to a church that he has never visited, to people that he has never met. And he's writing to encourage them, but most of all, to remind them of that very truth, that Jesus is above all. So that's what we've been talking around right? Jesus is above all of creation. We saw Jesus is above all people, but today we get specific. Jesus is above you. And I told you last week, this has been happening all through chapter three. We've just been getting more and more specific every week through the entire chapter. So he starts off by saying, hey, seek the things that are above. That's the beginning of chapter three. And then he moves on to tell us what sorts of things are above. Things like compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love, forgiveness, peace, thanksgiving. But now at the end of chapter three, he's going to get even more specific. He's going to actually call us out individually and tell us how to be citizens of the kingdom of God. And so let's look at that together. Colossians chapter three, we're going to start in verse 18. Uh, If you have your Bible, um, you can turn there. If you picked up a Bible on your way in, you'll you'll find it on page 573. And of course, we'll have it here on, on the screen as well. Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 18, it says this, wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Perhaps you can see why people might get uncomfortable with this passage. Perhaps it made you uncomfortable. I think it's the S words, right? Submission and servants. We don't really like those words. We really kind of wish the Bible wouldn't talk like that. Um, But of course, in its time, when it was written, it was shocking for a different reason, actually in the exact opposite way. At, At the time that it was written, it wasn't shocking to say that wives would submit, but it was shocking to say that husbands would not be harsh, right? It was even further shocking that fathers wouldn't provoke their children, that masters would be just and fair, That went against everything that the Greco-Roman world would say to to the head of a household. It was shocking to tell them to do anything, but especially to tell them to treat their, their wives or their children or their servants with dignity. And yet that's what Paul does. It's more specifically, that's what God does. He's making it clear that Jesus is above all even above the highest person in the household, even above you. That's what verse 24 is saying. There is no partiality. So let me just talk us through four things as we think about these instructions to each of us, four things for us to keep in mind. The first is something that we've already been saying. Jesus is Lord. That's the constant drumbeat of this passage. Seven times in the course of nine verses, Paul is going to place these instructions under the authority of Christ, right? So he doesn't say, wives submit. He says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, right? It's not children obey, it's obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Who do bond or why do bond servants obey? Well, because they fear the Lord. Who do they work for? Not for men, but for the Lord Christ, who unlike their earthly masters is going to give them an inheritance as their reward. Why are masters supposed to be just and fair? Because they too have a master, Jesus, who is above all. The constant beat of this passage is Jesus above all, Jesus above you. Now, you may have noticed an interesting thing happening here. He doesn't talk about the husband or the father being under God's authority. Okay, so for as constant as he is at pointing out that everybody is under God's authority, he doesn't say it when he's talking to fathers. He doesn't say it when he's talking to husbands. Now, we know elsewhere in Scripture he does, right? So in Ephesians, he says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? He certainly could have reminded fathers that they too are children of their father in heaven, right? So why, why leave it out? Why not say that? I think, I think actually Paul is doing something pretty radical here, pretty radical for his time. You see, nobody had any questions about whether the father, whether the husband were going to be under 
God's authority or had a relationship with God. That was understood. Everyone knew that. The father, in fact, was the only one who was allowed to go to religious ceremonies. The father was the only one who could perform religious rites or rituals on behalf of the family. So to tell him that he was under God was was just obvious. But to tell wives and children and, and slaves that they too had a personal relationship with God, that they too were personally accountable to God, that was radical. It was a radical thing to say. And that's actually the second thing that I want us to see here. Paul is leveling the playing field. We perhaps read these instructions as oppressive, but actually they're dignifying, right? Paul is communicating worth before God to people who culturally had no value at all. That wives could be fit before the Lord, that children could please the Lord was unthinkable. And even more unthinkable would be the idea that a slave could inherit anything, much less from God. Let me just give us a picture of how the Roman Empire of the first century worked. I'm going to read an excerpt from a PBS documentary. Here's why I've chosen a PBS documentary, because I want to make sure that you know I'm not trying to bias this with some Christian artifact from the first century. This is just history. This is just what history says about first century Roman culture. Here's what it says. Ancient Rome was a man's world in politics, society, and the family. Men held both the power and the purse strings. They even decided whether a baby would live or die. Families were dominated by men. At the head of the Roman family life was the oldest living male called the paterfamilias, or the father of the family. He looked after the family's business affairs and property and could perform religious rites on their behalf. The paterfamilias had absolute rule over his household and children. If they angered him, he had the legal right to disown his children, to sell them into slavery, or even kill them. Only the paterfamilias could own property. So whatever their age, until their fathers died, his sons only received an allowance to manage their own household. Okay, so into that culture, Paul here addresses personally wives and children and slaves. And he tells them that they have dignity, that they have their own relationship with Jesus. And he tells the fathers, the the paterfamilias, that they too are under Jesus, right? So he elevates the oppressed and he lowers the oppressors and he places everyone at the same place under the feet of Jesus. Jesus who is above all. Here's the the third thing that I want you to take note of in this. In some ways, Paul seems to be going to great lengths to tell you this. You are responsible for you and not for me. You're responsible for you and not for me. He wants you to know to mind your own business. And he is going to great lengths to prevent In fact, the very thing that has happened with verses like this, these verses are not meant for us to use against each other. They're used for us to examine ourselves. This is why he doesn't say wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Have you said that? 
We could all go around just examining all the lives of wives to find out who's not obeying their husbands. Rather, he says, wives. I'm talking to you. Husbands, get out of here. Wives, submit to your husbands. He lets them know right at the beginning who he's talking. Each of these instructions is given uniquely to that person alone that they might examine themselves and do accordingly. Right, but the the misappropriation of passages like this has had catastrophic consequences, both in and outside the church, right? This faulty interpretation has caused so much hurt and abuse in the modern church and in our world, right? And the hurt, perhaps it's in all of these relationships at times, but specifically recently, we have seen that hurt applied to women. Husbands, Hear me, it is not your place to tell your wives to submit. You are supposed to love her. That's what the Bible says to you. And we could go just right on down the line. The point here, right, is that Jesus is above you, not for you to tell me that Jesus is above me. Jesus is above you. Now, finally, and another way that these passages have been misappropriated, Paul is talking about roles in particular relationships, not about our roles as a particular sex or age or status, right? We have to, again, pay attention to what he says and what he doesn't say, right? He doesn't say women submit to men. He doesn't say men love women. For that matter, he doesn't instruct children to just universally obey every adult. He's talking about very particular relationships. But let me just tell you, this has happened all through our history. Men in particular have taken verses like this and they've taken them out of their context and they've used them to harm and oppress women and children and those of other social classes for centuries in ways that Paul would have found shocking and God is certainly offended by. In fact, I think that you would be hard-pressed to find a passage of Scripture that tells you how men and women are supposed to act based on their sex. Because the Bible doesn't seem near as interested in laying out gender stereotypes as our world is. What you see in Scripture is passages like the one we had this morning that tells us how to live in relationship with one another, which makes sense because our God is a relational God who's interested about us having a relationship with him and then us having a relationship with each other. So he tells us how to behave in the context of relationships. The Bible doesn't talk about biblical manhood or womanhood. It talks about biblical personhood. And then it tells you how to be a good husband or how to be a good wife. And the thing that the Bible says about biblical personhood is this, recognize that Jesus is above you. So four things to think about as we look at this passage. One, Jesus is Lord over you. That's the overarching theme of this passage. Two, we are all equal under the authority of Jesus. Three, we are all individually responsible to the authority of Jesus. And four, 
Specifically, our relationships are under the authority of Jesus. Jesus above all means Jesus above you. It means Jesus above me. Now, let me just give us a few thoughts about the topic of slavery here because it's in our passage. Our translation uses the word bondservant. Other translations use the word slave. Both are correct. I think what what the translators are trying to do is they're trying to distance our minds from the horrors of the transatlantic slave trade and the wickedness of race-based chattel slavery that was foundational in our country here. They're trying to distance us from that and cast our minds back to a type of slavery of the first century Greco-Roman world, which is still problematic, was still very problematic, but radically different. So slavery then was based on status, not on race. And so a person might sell themselves into slavery to pay off debt that they had. Or as we already read, right, their father might sell them into slavery to pay off debts that he has, right? You might be a prisoner of war, but but it's based on your status and it has nothing to do with your race or your ethnicity. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, they had so many slaves who looked exactly like everyone else that often you didn't know who was who. At one point, they considered having all of the slaves wear a, a certain like pin on themselves so they would know who the slaves are. But here's what they were afraid of. They didn't pass the law because they were afraid that if that happened, the slaves would see how many of them there were and then they would revolt. And so this is how common it was and how similar they looked. It wasn't based on race. It was based on status. And a person at this time, they were actually able and really commonly, they would either be granted or they could buy back their freedom by paying off their debt. So it's a radically different thing. But it's differences from American slavery does not mean that it was not horribly degrading and a humiliating system that resulted in all sorts of oppression and cruelty. And so into that system, Paul does some pretty revolutionary things. He says some pretty revolutionary things. The first we've already talked about in part, right? He addresses slaves personally, not through their masters, but personally. He assumes that they're going to be in the church and that they have a relationship with God themselves. And when he addresses them, he's declaring their equality next to their masters before God. And, and he's not just doing this in some sort of back room meeting. This is in front of everyone. Their masters would have been right there in the room as Paul is playing the role of the great equalizer. And then he goes even further. And he tells them not to work for their masters. Now, he tells them to obey, right? That's verse 22. But in the very next verse, he says, you don't work for men. You work for God, right? And indeed, your working and your obeying of your masters is actually done under the authority of God. So the point is not to affirm the system of slavery that exists, but to speak to the people who are living in its context. And here's what he says. He says, physically obey, but spiritually revolt. Recognize whose you really are. Recognize who you're really working for. 
Jesus above. In fact, you're working for the same master that your master is working for. Paul makes this even more clear in another book that was, or another letter that was delivered to the church in Colossae. This one wasn't sent to the whole church. It was sent to a single individual, a guy named Philemon. And Philemon um, was a slave owner. And he gets this letter. It actually was sent alongside the one that we're reading. He gets this letter because he had a slave by the name of Onesimus who had run away. But when Onesimus had run away, somewhere on his journey, he met Paul and Paul introduced him to Jesus and he met Jesus and now he is a brother in Christ. And so here's what Paul says in the letter that he sends to Philemon by the hand of Onesimus delivering the letter. Here's what he says. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon and he explains that there's been a change of status that has happened. Onesimus may still physically bear the label slave, but much more importantly, he now bears the label beloved brother. That all makes sense, right? In the, in the context of Colossians that, that Paul would do this, right? Think about the things that we've already seen as we've walked through the book of Colossians over these last several weeks. We're told that Jesus is the savior of all, all who would trust in him. No matter if they're the master or the slave, man or woman, anyone who would repent and believe in Jesus will be saved by Jesus. And then chapter one tells us that those who believe in Jesus have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, where they have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then move on. Chapter two tells us that the legal demands against us have been set aside and nailed to the cross. Philemon has no claim against Onesimus because the legal claims have been set aside by Jesus. We're told that we died in Christ and we've been raised with him to new life. So chapter three says, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And then last week we heard that we're to put off earthly things and to put on Christ. And so what would be the response of Philemon? Right, well, the earthly response, he would demand punishment even more years of slavery. If he was about himself and his own kingdom, he would demand payment for wrongdoing. But he's been transferred, transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. And he's been transferred to the kingdom of Jesus as has Onesimus. And so if he's seeking the things that are above where Christ is, if he's putting on Christ, then the only right response would be joy over Onesimus's salvation and the welcome of him as a beloved brother. 
right? If Jesus is above all, then he is above Philemon and Onesimus and you. And if he is above us all, then we serve him and his kingdom and no earthly master or earthly kingdom. And so for those who read these verses and would contend that Paul was accepting of slavery, I would point them first to Philemon, but then also to verse 25 of our passage, which frankly in the context is shocking. In the midst of telling slaves that they are serving the Lord, not men, he says this, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. God says, I'll pay back the wrongdoing of your master. You serve me. God is not impressed with the prestige of the slave master. He will pay him back for the wrongdoing that he has done. So think about this just dramatic reversal that is happening here. Now we're told the slave will receive an inheritance from the Lord and the wrongdoing of the owner will be paid back by the Lord. William Barclay says it this way. He says, he must remember that the time will come when the balance is adjusted, when evil doing will find its punishment and faithful diligence its reward. Right? Jesus above all means Jesus above you. Now, having said that about slavery, let me also say this, that while different, I actually think that this passage can be helpful for us when we think about our own jobs, our own employment that, that we have. I know for me, this passage was very helpful in a season where I was working in a job where I felt that I had been wronged. And so it was a passage that I, that I memorized and then I would just sit in every day as I went to work because it allowed me to stop trying to impress an unimpressible boss because I was seeking the approval of God himself. It allowed me to stop complaining about bad compensation because I was working towards a heavenly inheritance. And it allowed me to stop wishing that my boss would be punished because I was confident that God would hold him accountable. And in all of that, it gave me no out because my situation was not near as bad as the situation that Paul is addressing here, right? Instead, time and time again, I was directed right back to the reality that Jesus above all means Jesus above me, that he was my master. And here's the thing, that's not a bad thing because Jesus is the best master of all. It is a joyous reality to realize that your life is under Jesus. Jesus above all means Jesus above you. But remember, we've also seen as we've walked through Colossians that Jesus not only above us, right, but he is in us and we are in him. So he's not only the master over us, but he's the example for us and the power in us. So, so let me just read, I'm just going to read this passage again with, with all of those things in mind. I'll just add a few comments as we read along. Listen to Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Don't submit because your husband is better than you or more important than you. Submit because Jesus is above you. So submit in the way that he did, voluntarily, but not passively, 
thoughtfully, not blindly, and boldly, not timidly. Because as much as Jesus is above you, he is also in you, empowering such submission. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Don't love them because they need you to. Do it because Jesus is above you. Love them with the same love you see in Jesus who gave his very life for his bride, the church. Love them so sacrificially that while submission is always difficult, it will also be a joy. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Obey them in the way that Jesus obeyed his father when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Not because obedience was easy, but because it was good. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Remember that you too are a child of God under his authority and discipline, but also under his love. So direct your children with the same grace, patience, and understanding that God has demonstrated to you. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Each day, as you go to work, remember who you really work for. Take on each task, complete each assignment as if it was done for God, because it truly is. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And your master, while gracious, will pay back all wrongdoing. And so remember that Jesus above all even means Jesus above you. And truly, that, that's the reminder for, for all of us, right? Don't look around at other people's obedience. Look within at your own. Because Jesus above all means Jesus above you. And Jesus above you is also Jesus within you empowering you to obey the very instructions that he has given you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for, for that truth that we, that we just said, that you don't give us instructions without giving us the strength to obey them. Thank you that you are ever faithful to us, even though you are our master and we so often are not faithful to you. Lord, what we have heard this morning from your word is hard. And yet we commit ourselves to you and to obedience to you. Even now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live as you command. And we pray that as we do that, that it would bear witness to your wisdom, which is far greater than our own. Lord, thank you for your example of obedience and submission. Thank you for going to the cross for us. Lord, that in your death, we might find life. And so we praise you this morning as our resurrected Lord. In your name we pray.
Amen.